Hi and hello watch fans and welcome once again to our article series. In this audio article series, I read out the words of our resident provocateur, David Vaucher. Today's topic is Hublot and the article is entitled, Hublot may finally be getting the respect it deserves. It's hard to feel bad for Hublot and its CEO, Ricardo Guadalupe. As part of LVMH's Watches and Jewelry Group, Hublot contributed to the group's roughly 10.5 billion euros in revenue over 2022, an 18% reported increase over the previous year. In bigger picture terms, the brand has been around since 1980, which is no small feat for any company, let alone one being launched into a space occupied by incumbents over a century old. On top of that, Hublot's large marketing budget means that it is a well-known brand in the watch industry. And, if you happen to be a Hublot employee, you get to work in the organization's modern facilities in Neon, Switzerland, at the Hublot 2 factory. Then again, I struggle to think of any luxury watch brand that is dismissed as quickly and as harshly by collectors as Hublot often is. A common theme in my writing is a frustration at zombie opinions, views that are widely shared, stated almost reflexively without much thought, and that keep stumbling along despite tangible evidence to the contrary. The view that Hublot produces nothing but horological trash, devoid of any respect, is one such opinion. It needs to go from undead to fully dead, and there is plenty to work with to make that case. Let's start with the primary complaint against Hublot, which is that its design DNA is derivative. Hublot means porthole in French, and along with the bolts on the bezel, is meant to evoke this part of the boat. When you hear the word, it's hard to prevent your mind from immediately going to other famous nautical-themed watches launched around the same time. I'm thinking, of course, of the Audemars Piguet Royal Oak and the Patek Philippe Nautilus. I'd be foolish to say that I don't see that influence, but is it right to call the brand's original watch the classic original, a blatant copy? I don't think so, because to do so robs Hublot, and at the time the brand's founder Carlo Crocco, of some quite revolutionary work. The first Hublot watch combined a natural rubber strap, which apparently not only took three years to develop, but also happened to be the first rubber strap in the history of watchmaking. That rubber strap was then paired, not with a plastic case as one could fairly have expected at the time, but rather a yellow gold one. You may find this completely banal in 2023, but at the time it must have been shocking, perhaps even provocative, like the reaction Audemars Piguet received with its Royal Oak when it priced a steel watch like one made of precious metals. I'm saying that if you acknowledge the historical significance of the latter, you have to do the same for the former, and when you compare a rubber-strapped Royal Oak Offshore to a Hublot Big Bang, yes, they do look similar, but ask yourself, whom inspired whom here? Beyond its historical significance, that initial use of the rubber strap is also key to deflecting the accusation of design plagiarism because the Hublot Classic Fusion really is its own thing. It's an integrated bracelet watch, in a manner of speaking, in the sense that the case and bracelet are meant to be seen as one, but it employs an integrated rubber strap, not a metal bracelet. If you think I'm reaching a bit, how many watches out there look rather a lot more like the Royal Oak and Nautilus, with steel bracelets, yet aren't straight up rejected by the watch community simply for existing? While the late Virgil Abloh might have been credited with vocalising the 3% approach to the design, the watch industry was putting it into action decades before. Brands riff on each other, sure, but design similarities from one watch to another shouldn't prevent us from appreciating what newer models bring to the table, and, as far as I'm concerned, Hublot made its own mark from the very beginning. 
The next major critique people have about the brand is that it extends its design laziness to its technical specs, choosing to employ very standard movements in watches that cost far more than they could reasonably be justified to. I will absolutely admit that I was disappointed to see very standard Salita movements in the recently announced Classic Fusion original. The movement is fine, but its totally undecorated appearance does make me scratch my head, because Hublot is a luxury watch company. The front of a Classic Fusion does convey luxury, but turn it over, and the fun is spoiled a little bit. That aside, Hublot is hardly the only watch company, or company period, to try and stretch its margins and in the process have a few misses in its catalogue. If you look at the brand's past entry-level models, there's plenty to be impressed with, even wowed by. A few years ago, I came very, very close to buying either a Big Bang Unico Chronograph or a Mecha 10, and if you haven't heard of these, I definitely encourage you to run a quick search for them both. It's probably fair to say that we all get led down the watch rabbit hole thanks to at least partly a fascination with their internal workings. And, on top of that, I studied and worked as a mechanical engineer. Think what you will about the watchers themselves, but I had and still have an almost visceral reaction to how cool-looking those movements are. At an even higher level, the Hublot MP-05 LaFerrari is wild in pictures and must be bonkers on the wrist. Even if I had the cash, it's not to my taste, but personally, if I was on Team Hublot Sucks, the first time seeing that watch would be enough to convince me that Hublot is a bona fide manufacturer. It's not just the movements that are cool, the materials in which they are wrapped are seriously impressive as well. In fact, it says a lot about Hublot that its use of titanium and ceramic are almost boring compared to the other materials it employs. I would go as far to say that, in my opinion, Hublot are the premier material scientists in the business. While the company was not the first to use sapphire cases, it's probably the brand currently most associated with that material. And though the novelty of a clear case may now be somewhat diminished, can we please take a step back and think of how difficult this must be to do properly, especially given the brand's case proportions? This is very, very high-level stuff already, but the brand pushed things even further at the most recent LVMH Watch Week with a form of sapphire that, apart from being materially different from the sapphire typically used in watch cases, almost requires a radiation suit given its nuclear yellow colour. We should take a step back again and recognise that to do ceramic or sapphire well, period, is noteworthy, but this is hardly the first time Hublot has gone beyond the standard black ceramic or clear sapphire, and that doing this requires technical chops that only a serious manufacturer can possibly possess. As impressive as they are technically, perhaps it's those same colours that have gotten Hublot its bad rap. After all, when people see a bright yellow watch, I don't blame them for being turned off by the in-your-face aspect of it, well before thinking of what a technical feat it represents. I understand that reaction, but to then use that initial impression to support the statement that Hublot sucks misses the entire point of the company's mission. Hublot is indeed in your face, and proud of it. I can't talk about Hublot without talking about the marketing, which has not only raised the brand's profile, but also the ire of many purists in the watch community. Starting in 2004, Hublot was run by legendary watch industry pitchman Jean-Claude Biver, and from the get-go his imprint was obvious. He debuted the Big Bang, which is still in the lineup today, and in 2010, that brash spirit carried on in the form of a rather graphic ad campaign featuring F1's Bernie Eccleston, who had been assaulted for his Hublot. Bad taste or great idea? Perhaps both. That's up to you to decide. But you can't argue that A. It makes an impression, and B. Hublot has grown tremendously. So people, people with different tastes than me and perhaps you, are buying these watches. I'll add that the people purchasing from Hublot probably do not care, at all, what anyone thinks about them wearing a Hublot. They just want to have a good time and put their extra version on full display for the world. 
And to that I say, why not? How is this type of flexing different from the flexing that's accepted because it involves a Royal Oak offshore? Actually, there's an irony there that only just dawned on me while writing this. Despite, or maybe because of, how brash Hublot's watches and marketing are, Hublot might well be the most authentic brand in the industry. Generally, high levels of marketing tend to be associated with commensurately low levels of authenticity. Hublot is one of the rare examples where this doesn't apply, because, as the saying goes, it does exactly what it says on the tin. I forget where I first read this years ago, but understanding that you want designs to be polarizing has stuck with me ever since. Sure, you may turn some people off, but is that worse than boring everybody to tears? Hublot could have softened its approach over time, making smaller, more discreet watches to suit current tastes and adapted its marketing accordingly. Instead, the company went the other way, upping the ante technically and aesthetically every year to the point where every Hublot now unmistakably looks like a Hublot. Okay, I'll grant you the spirit of the Big Bang is a bit too on the nose, but that aside, you have to respect Hublot for steadfastness. The brand has the fortitude to stick to that strategy. The people behind the brand have put in some very hard technical work to turn that strategy into recognisable models. Times have changed, but during those changing times, Hublot has stayed its course, and it seems that persistence may finally be paying off. Now, to be clear, from a financial point of view, Hublot has been doing well for years, and apparently has plans to expand its neon facilities. But I'm sure the employees working there wouldn't complain if some of the negativity slowed just a bit, and it seems there is hope. The Rolex Rainbow Daytona is not only accepted now, but also coveted, and years of flex culture have led fashion consumers generally to be more welcoming when it comes to flashy designs. The coverage I read from the latest LVMH Watch Week was overall very receptive of Hublot's latest offerings, with Warren and Wine, Zach Kazan even posting on Instagram, If you're a watch enthusiast and still have a knee-jerk negative reaction to Hublot, you should probably stop being lame. The LVMH Watch Week releases were fantastic from top to bottom. Alon and Rob spent a significant amount of time on the Real Time Show episode 23 making their own strong cases as to why Hublot deserves far more credibility than they are currently granted. Going back to the classic Fusion original in particular, nowhere do I remember reading that the reintroduced models looked like copies of more popular watches. Rather, it seemed the watch press was content just to enjoy the watch for what it was. In isolation, none of this may seem like enough to move the needle, but taken in aggregate and repeated enough over time, I do believe that in a few years there will be much more widespread enthusiasm over the brand's releases. I couldn't be happier if this happens because Hublot serves an important function with LVMH and the broader watch industry. Within LVMH, hopefully there's as much technical cross-pollination as possible between brands, with, say, Zenith benefiting from Hublot's materials expertise, while Hublot can perhaps think about upgrading their entry-level models to something beyond a Solita. And, from an industry perspective, Hublot plays a vital role. So much of a context in which we, and the brands themselves, place luxury watches has to do with wood-panelled officers, fancy lounges, or serious adventures. What about just having some fun? in fun places. Isn't that what all watches are supposed to be, at the most basic level? Just really, really fun? I'll continue repeating that the watch hobby reaches its maximum levels of fun when you open your mind to everything. The more choices that are out there, the better. And I, for one, would be sad if the models on offer converged to 38mm dress watches and 40mm dive watches. So please, next time you're near a Hublot boutique, swing by. No, you may not find anything you want to buy, but you'll have a hell of a lot of fun in the process.